Welcome to Apollo's Muses, the COVID culture and cash series. Hi everyone, I hope you're all well. Welcome to week four of fundraising in lockdown for those of us here in the UK. I hope wherever you are, you've been able to find some level of normality in what is a really weird, unusual situation. My name is David Burgess. I run a fundraising consultancy here in the UK called Apollo Fundraising, and we specialize in supporting arts and culture organizations. I know the world probably doesn't need another fundraising podcast. There are some really incredible ones out there already. But I think it's been really interesting over the last few weeks looking at how arts and culture organizations have responded to this crisis. On the one hand, we hear this message that you can't fundraise for arts and culture in the middle of a global health pandemic and that people won't support the arts when there's a much more pressing need, apparently. And yet, on the other hand, we're seeing some really incredible examples of organizations proving that's just not true. Other organizations who've continued to successfully fundraise and have tried different ways of engaging with their supporters to overcome the challenges that lockdown has presented. I was really keen to try and collect those examples and share some of these stories to see how other people are approaching fundraising for the arts and culture sector at this time. I hope these podcasts will provide an interesting record of how the sector responded at this time. But more importantly than that, I know there are arts and culture fundraisers out there who are perhaps feeling a little bit lost, a little bit confused, not really sure how best to raise money for their organisations. And I hope that by sharing some of these examples, it gives you some ideas and some inspiration for fundraising for your own organisation. And whether that's inspiration for you or whether that's helping you to make the case to other people within your organisation, that absolutely you should still be talking to your supporters and that people out there will still give to the causes that matter to them. This is probably going to be quite a sporadic series of podcasts. I'm really keen to record as many of these stories as I can and get them out to you as quickly as I can. So do keep checking the Apollo fundraising website. Uh, Keep checking on Twitter. I'm hoping we'll get these up on Spotify and, and places like that as well to try and keep these coming out to you as quickly as we can. I'm delighted that my first guest as part of this series of podcasts is Samir Savant, who is festival director for the London Handel Festival. I've known Samir for many years. He's a fundraiser I hugely respect and admire. So I'm really grateful he was able to give up some of his time to talk about what they've been doing at the festival over the last few weeks. As you'll hear from our conversation, The lockdown here in the UK struck right in the middle of the London Handel Festival. They were able to get some performances done, but a huge amount of their planned programme for this year has had to be be cancelled because of coronavirus. As you'll hear, they didn't just sit back and Samir's been working tirelessly to try and keep engaging with supporters, partly to keep the organisation afloat, but then so they can look towards 2021 and the next instalment of the festival. Hi everybody, welcome to the first Apollo's Muses podcast and the first in our series of COVID culture and cash 
conversations talking to arts fundraisers about how they're keeping going through the coronavirus lockdown. I'm delighted that my first guest is Samir Savant from the London Handel Festival. How are you, Samir? Yes, good, thank you, David. Great to have you. Uh, do you want to say a bit about yourself? Tell people who you are, a bit about your, your background? Sure, sure. So um, currently I'm festival director of the London Handel Festival, um, which is an annual celebration of George Frederick Handel, which happens in venues across London in March and April every year. And my background is actually marketing and fundraising. I was development director at the War College of Music before starting this current job. And I have also had uh, fundraising roles at Shakespeare's Globe, the Royal Academy of Arts, Handel and Hendrix, and English National Opera. So you've been, been around for a fair bit. Uh, ever experienced anything like this? Uh, no, I, I'm counting my four years as festival director where I'm also, um, well, I, I'm a kind of one man band. I, um, I, I, I'm the only employee, paid employee for the festival. Um, <clears throat> and within that remit is fundraising. So counting those four years, I've done 20 years so far in fundraising. And even the economic downturns we've had have been nothing compared to this. So this really is uh, a once in a lifetime situation and hopefully something that none of us will ever see again in our lifetimes. Yes, fingers crossed. So if it hadn't been for coronavirus, what, what would London Handle Festival be doing at the moment? Well, right on uh, this moment, I would be collapsing in a heap and looking forward to <laughs> a long holiday in the sun um, because the festival uh, in 2020 was scheduled to run from the 5th of March until the 10th of April. And we started off fine. We had our production of Susanna in partnership with the Royal Opera House at the Lindbury Theatre. All the performances of that went fine. We had the semi-final of our uh, International Handel Singing Competition on Friday the 6th of March. That was all fine. We had a wonderful concert at the Wigmore Hall. Um, and then really on Friday the 13th, ha, things began to unravel. And that was the first notification of the cancellation um, and then the following Monday, when we were mid-rehearsal for our big oratorio, The Triumph of Time and Truth, that was the first day when Boris Johnson made an announcement from number 10 that things were going to change. Um, and from that moment onwards, we basically had to cancel everything. So we were a third of the way through the festival, and we had to cancel two thirds of the festival. So for a week to, to 10 days, I was in full panic mode, basically contacting all the artists to notify them, contacting all our audiences to notify them. Uh, Tuesday the 17th of March, let me just get this right. Yes, so Tuesday the 17th of March uh, was due to be our big oratorio, which is, uh, you know, a, a hallmark of our festival. Um, and I actually turned up and stood outside St George's Hanover Square, it handles church in the cold, just in case any audience members hadn't got any of our emails or telephone messages. Um, and it was kind of quite a, a lonely moment, really, but I felt I had Mr. Handel there with me, um, kind of cheering me up. But standing in the cold for 90 minutes uh, in March before we had our nice uh, spring weather that we've been having recently was not an experience I want to relive, really. I mean, that, that must be 
terrible and I, I know it's an experience shared by a lot of arts organizations across not just the UK but obviously internationally of having put all of these plans in place got to the point of almost being able to to welcome people in to see them and then having to to slam the doors shut how, how have you then approached that in in terms of fundraising what what have you been working on because I'm assuming it's not just the impact of lost ticket sales that's that's going to hit the festival what what does this all look like from a fundraising point of view sure sure so i'll talk first about um how we fundraise normally uh and then how we've been fundraising since the pandemic um created this um you know extraordinary situation for all all of us um so the london handle festival is a registered charity like most arts organizations and in fact um Ticket sales only cover 40% of our costs. So we have to get the vast majority of the remainder, which is around 60% from fundraising. Uh, we don't get any regular public subsidy. So um, we, we're not kind of a national portfolio organization or anything like that. Um, so we really are reliant on, on philanthropic giving. Um, and that breaks down into three areas, really. Um, we have trust and foundation um, support. Um, particularly because uh, through the annual Handel Sing competition, we are nurturing young artists. Um, so with that kind of um, emerging talent hat on, that's how we've fundraised mainly from trusts and foundations. Um, we have around 150 individual supporters, raise, uh, ranging from friends at £40 right through to director's circle at £5,000. And then we are very, very lucky to have a small handful of major donors um, giving anything up to £50,000 a year. So those are our three main constituencies. Um, in terms of keeping in touch with everyone and kind of what we had to do, um, I mean, the major donors is just a handful. So between me and our chair, we contacted them all immediately just to let them know what was going on. And we've had really supportive messages back. Uh, and I don't really think that anyone in this extraordinary situation is expecting kind of refunds of grants or anything. They're just hoping that we can just survive this and also reinstate as much as we can at a later date. Um, similarly with trusts and foundations, because um, although we haven't gone ahead with the final of the singing competition, everything up until that point had gone ahead. And in fact, we had a bumper number of entries this year with 187 people applying from 32 countries. So all of those applications had been processed. So if you like, the vast majority of the work had been done. But again, I, I have written to every single trust donor and explained the situation to them. And by and large, they've all been very sympathetic. With uh, what we did differently, really, was um, with ticket sales. Um, and because we were an early casualty in this whole thing, being in the middle of the festival when we had to cancel, we immediately then had to think, well, what do we do about all the events and all the people who had booked tickets for events? Um, and, and luckily, we, we use Spectrix. I'm sure a lot of um, performing arts organizations use that and Spectrix have come up with a ticket converter tool, um, which was not without its teething problems, but we worked with them and were able to get messages out to our audiences and uh, giving them the opportunity to convert their ticket sales into a full or partial donation. And uh, I feel incredibly lucky and privileged that our loyal audiences really did prove very loyal and something like two thirds of them have converted their ticket sales into a full or partial donation. 
Um, I worked with um, our trustees. Our trustees were wonderful in helping support me through this, especially being just the single employee. Um, uh, our, um, our treasurer quickly remodeled everything based on council performances. And we, we now know that because the festival is stable and secure going forward, we can give pretty much all of the donations that the audiences have made directly to our freelance musicians. And those are the people that are going to be really suffering in the coming weeks and months with all kinds of dates cancelled in their calendars and huge amounts of uncertainty and angst. So we really want to help them as much as possible. Um, I've got some good news stories as well, kind of specifics, and um, maybe these would be helpful for other people in smaller organizations like me who might kind of think, well, what the hell can we do? Well, you can do stuff. The really, really important thing is to say thank you as much as possible to your donors. And because we are creative organizations, think about doing that in a very creative way. Um, the vast majority of our audiences, I never ever hear from. Um, I hear from the super enthusiastic people and then the people that have comments and complaints to make, usually not to, to do with the music, but about all kinds of other things. And I never really hear from the great British silent majority. Well, I have now. They've all come forward with incredible messages of support, including a published poet who sent me poems she's written about Handel, which are just lovely. And I've got her permission to actually republish one of her poems in the thank you email I'm about to send to all of the people that have donated. Um, and also I, um, one of our trustees, an amazing woman, Janice Liversidge, who had been brought onto our board to help me on the fundraising side of things, um, she very kindly volunteered to telephone all of the people that had their, their ticket sale had converted into donation of higher than a hundred pounds. Um, and a practical reason for this is that a lot of those people, it was the first time they were donating to the festival. So we didn't have any gift aid declaration for them. And so taking an oral declaration over the phone was the primary purpose for the call, but also just to say thank you to these people. And so many of them are not really on our radar even. And, you know, a few of them have said that they were delighted to support and they would consider becoming annual givers or indeed enhancing the, the regular support they already give. So for us, it's been a really fruitful exercise and it's, it's wonderful to have someone, a, a trustee like Janice, who's prepared to put in the hours, literally ringing up the donors. And I would say to small arts organizations, if you've got a trustee that's prepared to do that, ask them to do it because everyone's stuck at home. They're much more likely to answer the phone now during lockdown than they will when they're living their ordinary busy lives. And you will get so much kind of love and support back and the promise of future support. So it's a few hours on the telephone, but I really think it's worthwhile. That's fantastic. And I suspect there are lots of people listening to this feeling quite jealous about the, that proactive nature of the trustee coming forward and saying, saying they'd help with that, but some really great advice there of how you can use those, those calls, not just in the short term, but building that long-term relationship. I'm really interested in the messaging you used when you went to, to ticket holders and you were asking them to, to convert uh, those refunds into donations. Did you talk about that being used to support freelancers at the time, or what, what, was, your, what was your pitch, as it were, to, to ticket, ticket holders as to why they should 
turn that yeah that's that's an interesting point because i i was very much speaking from the heart um and I was in the middle of cancelling all of this and knowing that I had to just get on with it. So I didn't really have time to really, um, you know, obviously I looked at what I'd written and sense checked it with myself and with a couple of other people. Um, but I didn't have time to kind of run it by all of our trust board. And, you know, I, I you know, being a small organization, we don't have like a marketing team and all this kind of thing. So it was very much from the heart. And the message was always, first and foremost, we need to secure the future of the festival. And we want to help our freelance musicians. And I think that's been the message coming out of many arts organizations to help freelance staff, uh, actors, designers, musicians, um, producers, curators, all these kinds of people. Um, and interestingly, I had feedback that the messages coming from the London Handle Festival just felt a bit more authentic and a bit more sincere than the rather more corporate messages coming out of larger arts organisations. So again, I would say to small arts organisations, just say what you believe and that will have its an authenticity of its own. Um, and I think our audiences were inclined to be generous in any case because they are very loyal and we've got, we're in a lucky position to have loyal, long-standing audience members. But I think something about the authenticity of the ask has really resulted in this um, amazing outpouring of generosity. I think people can really tell, can't they, when, when it's a real human that's writing to them and... I think people are looking for that sense of connection at the moment, aren't they? Now that we're not able to see each other, be in the same space as, as, as each other. So anything that feels like a human interaction, I think is, is being really welcomed by, by people. So really great that you're able to bring that into, into the messaging. And I have noticed, you know, on, on social media and in the news, you know, that um, people are really valuing what means the most to them. And, you know, there's been this debate in the cultural sector for ages about, you know, um, how can we better express our case for support as a charity when most people don't realise we're a charity? Whereas the one thing that coronavirus has done, a favour it's done for us as a community, is that there's no question that people think of us as charities now because we've articulated from a point of, of panic and fear almost that this is what we do and this is what needs to happen and the donors have realized our audience members have realized this is something really precious to them that they've enjoyed over so many years and they wouldn't they would hate to see go they would hate to lose from their lives it's so enriching and so powerful for them and i think i think we can just relax a bit and know that they've kind of taken on board that message and that you know they they want to i think coming out of this you know, people will want to support the causes they believe in the most, even more. So anyone that sat through any of my training sessions, you know, I always uh, get quite angry when, pe <laughs> when people start their case for support or their support us message as the generic arts organization is a registered charity. And, and the fact that they've got charitable status becomes their whole rationale for asking for, for money. And actually, I think there's it's knowing that the organization needs help and that there is a role for people to, to play. And I think absolutely, as you say, people care, they want to see these organizations survive. For many, they are a, a hugely important part of their, their lives. And I think there's definitely something about this being the first time organizations have been really clear and really open about just how much they need that support to, to keep going. 
you've talked about the, the really positive response you've had from, particularly from individual donors and some of the trust uh, donors. Have you had any negative response to um, ask, either asking people to convert their tickets into donations or to being seen to fundraise at this time? I'll put my hand on my heart and say that in my case, we haven't had a single complaint from any of the people we've approached. Um, we've had slightly terse replies from people, but they've been very, very few. The majority of audiences, even if they're asking for a full refund, have been very supportive and explained that they are freelancers themselves or they're retired on limit, limiting income or their job situation is uncertain, but certainly no complaints. And I think it's coming back to what I said before, that everyone is in the same boat. So the vast majority of our audiences don't just support our individual organization, but they had tickets booked for all kinds of places over the coming months, and they're getting the same message back from all the organizations they're involved with. Um, and the arts community has been pretty consistent in its messaging on this. So I think people were kind of geared up for it, and it didn't come as a surprise. And I think there's something really important, isn't it, in the way you present that, that offer, that it's absolutely fine to, to take a take the refund. We completely understand. Not everyone's in that position. And a lot of people have been negatively impacted by this. But at the same time, there are people who actually won't see a huge amount of difference, certainly not in the short term, to their, their financial situation. And, and, you know, my own situation, you know, I, I've had, I had booked tickets for various things and I've had people come back one by one saying, we've had to cancel what you want to do and in my head I kind of budgeted for the event already it's it's happened so to convert that into a donation is not it's you know it's no skin of my teeth because it already kind of happened from a spending point of view in my head so um, I hope a lot of people see it the same way. So you, you've talked quite a bit about what you've done in the immediate future what what are your plans now for the next couple of months and, and moving forward when it comes to fundraising where are you going to be focusing your your time and efforts um well it will all be um aligned to our future activity um so we we are very much hoping we can reinstate some of our cancelled events and we will use some of those events as kind of um celebration events you know we, we've got through this and um, we're at the other end we're all in it together this is something we want to celebrate our sense of community and shared passion um so uh, i think our audiences that have converted their ticket sales into donations have done so in the full understanding that if we reinstate events they will have to pay again and i think they will be happy to pay again for an event that was cancelled but reinstated um, so we wouldn't really give away free tickets to anyone but um, we are hoping to say a special thank you to those donors um, invite them to our events and um, have something nice for them you know as part of that you know maybe some of the musicians afterwards saying thank you personally and how much it's meant to them so Again, basic but meaningful and thoughtful stewardship um, and creating that connection. Um, in addition to kind of looking forward and how do we steward, the, steward these people once the 
events, uh, what, what once life has returned to some kind of normality and once events are happening again. Um, I do want to stay in touch with everyone um, in the coming months and thankfully a lot of our musicians have come forward to um, offer creative content that we can then use digitally. Um, so, you know, again, this is an opportunity for any arts organisation, no matter what size, to ask your own creative people to produce stuff. And I've been really, really overwhelmed by the content that is already coming out that's available to us digitally, you know, films and theatre and online tours of museum collections, opera, orchestras, the whole lot, and really cleverly and thoughtfully and creatively done. So it's just shown that there are opportunities there and we can use these to develop our relationships with our donors. Um, I know that larger organisations have been having virtual events for their donors. Um, so, for example, I, I know a couple of orchestras who, when they have had concerts that have been cancelled and when they were due to have kind of pre-performance receptions, they've kind of gone ahead with the receptions, but via Zoom. Um, for a small organisation like us, it's not really possible to organise that kind of thing. But large organisations with kind of development teams could probably think of doing that. And again, it's just a way of staying connected. And, you know, you, you're, you see the faces of all your donors in the same place. And um, in a way, it feels a bit more relaxed than trying to run around a room and say hello to a million people um, all before the concert starts. So, you know, again, we can take advantage of this downtime to think of ways of that we do engage. Um, and then longer term, um, I suppose another message that we are, key, are keen to get across is about the lack of public subsidy, because there's been a, quite a lot of misunderstanding from both our artists and our donors um, about, you know, because the Arts Council has been amazing at supporting national portfolio organisations. And those organisations in turn, the large arts organisations, have kind of made public statements about how they're going to pay their artists right through to the end of the the planned season, etc. Um, and therefore there's been an assumption from audiences and artists that every arts organisation is doing that. And that's been problematic for us. So we do need to make it clear in future messaging that we, we can't rely on the luxury of regular public subsidy, which is why their donation really counts. And um, I, I'm, I'd already planned the 2021 London Handel Festival. And in fact, I was going to publish details of that towards the end of the 2020 London Huddle Festival. Um, so I'm just going to plough ahead as normal and fundraise for those events. Um, and I think as long as that's done with sensitivity and tact and acknowledging the fact that we're currently still in this crisis, but knowing that we will get through it and knowing that the best way to get through it is to look ahead and plan for things that we can enjoy in the future. Uh, I, I'm sure all the funding bodies I'm turning to will, will understand the unique situation we're all in. And that, again, that, that's, a, you know, I mean, one can't really talk about this situation as being nice, but one of the nice things about this is the real sense of community. You know, this 99-year-old this man who's raised £10 million by walking up and down 100 steps. I mean, it's just so inspiring. And philanthropy is definitely going to come to the front and kind of harnessing that energy and that um, volition of the public to get behind the causes they really want to support is something I think we in the cultural sector can really benefit from. 
Yes, and I suspect uh, Captain Tom Moore's probably added another million pounds in the time we've been been talking. It's just incredible watching those those numbers go up. You've mentioned obviously you're predominantly a one man band, uh, although you've got got the support of the trustees. How how do you keep yourself motivated, and how do you keep yourself supported during this time? So I'm guessing there's a lot of pressure on you as as the director. Uh, coupled with the fact obviously working in, in isolation. How are you managing that? Um, it, it's tricky. Um, I've been working from home doing this job for the last four years. So working from home is not anything new to me, although I recognize that for a lot of people, um, moving entirely to a working from home situation has its own difficulties and challenges. Um, I, I have some casual staff who have been helping through this crisis as well, which has been amazing. And the London Handle Festival relies on the support of some 50 volunteers throughout the year. Um, so I've been trying to turn to them as well and ask them if they will help with uh, stuff that doesn't involve in-person meetings or being present at events because the majority of them are our volunteer stewards who help for front of house events um, and yes I mean I, I suppose it's it's allowing myself the time and the space to say it's okay not to be super productive every single day because we're going through this unprecedented situation and what I'm trying to do is to get back to normal as quickly as possible in terms of my working patterns um, and you know I, I'm, a, I'm a, a great person for daily weekly monthly to-do lists and just kind of ticking that there's nothing quite so satisfying as just crossing things off and um, you know making making sure that you're you're on track from that point of view um, but I think we need to keep an open mind as well and just see what's going on in the world around us um, I think moving forward most performing arts organisations will ignore digital at their peril. Um, I'm the trustee of a contemporary dance company, Shobhana Jersing Dance, and we had a very thoughtful and emotional board meeting via Zoom um, last month. Um, and very much the talk was, how will we present ourselves going forward? And traditionally, the contemporary dance sector has been very innovative in its presentation of the art form. Um, but I think classical music also which is also you know stereotypically has been seen as being a bit of a dinosaur will really need to buck the trend and think about how it presents itself and certainly with the London Handle Festival I'm going to be um, you know petitioning my board to allow us to uh, reproduce as much as we can digitally and to s live stream as many performances as we can going forward because I, I think that will just be the base expectation and it will open up um, the work that we do to a much bigger and international audience so there's lots of upsides. On, on that digital side do you, do you think organizations will start to say actually it doesn't have to be a fully polished sort of Hollywood style production to get people interested because I think some of the some of the really nice things that have come out of the last couple of weeks have been quite rough and ready do you think there'll be that acceptance that actually getting it out even in a rough and ready format is still a great way to engage with audiences or do you think people will start slowly shifting back to if we can't do it with all the bells and whistles let's not do it at all I'd, I'd like to think that people will carry on um 
and it's just been extraordinary. I, I mean, in, in my field of classical music and opera, just seeing individual opera singers kind of um, record themselves in their own living room um, and multi-voice tracks. So they're, they're singing a duet from a Mozart opera. In this case, the soprano was singing both the soprano part and the baritone part um, <laughs> and multi-tracking that. So these people are doing this on their laptops and their handheld devices, you know, in, in their own front room. So <clears throat> I, I think that what, what shines through is the quality of the creative performance. So whether it's musicians or actors um, or artists, um, you know, the, the, the fact that they have a real talent and a real skill, um, it only takes rudimentary digital transmission for their talent to shine. So I think that's, that's you know, something that we'll see, hopefully see more of. Uh, and the other thing is reaching people who can't get to you. Um, you know, pe people that are in a different country or a different time zone or people that for whom physical access is a barrier. Uh, I'm hoping that this will be a really amazing way to reach out to huge new audiences. And we shouldn't lose the message of fundraising in all of that. I mean, like everyone, I've been watching the National Theatre streaming, I've been watching the Royal Opera House streaming, and always as part of that, um, there is a message saying, we, we need your help, please help us. Um, you know, whether it's in the kind of staged interval in the middle or at the beginning or at the end or constantly popping up on the, on the YouTube chat. Um, I think this is just really important that we don't have to, it's not, as you say, David, it's not like kind of saying we're a registered charity and that's our mission statement because it's not, but just kind of saying we need your help in order to keep on delivering the amazing work we do. Um, this can't happen without your support and you're enjoying this now in this moment. So please think about being generous. Um, and, you know, any, any arts organization can do that. You know, it doesn't matter what size you are. You don't need to have a massive development team in order to just have that simple message and a donation mechanism on your, on your website. Obviously there, there are still people who I think are, are looking at this saying you can't fundraise for the arts and culture sector in the middle of a, global health pandemic people aren't giving to the arts and there are people who are sort of wanting to fundraise but not really sure on where they should be focusing their time their efforts and what they can be working on what advice what what tips what lessons would you give to, to people in that position well to, to people who are saying that they shouldn't be fundraising because it's the arts i mean we're losing the battle aren't we because we're, we're as valid a cause um, as anyone else and everything I've already said about people connecting to activities that really mean something to them um, is the strongest case really um, and I would advise people to really think about what they would have been doing otherwise from a fundraising activity point of view and just tempering it as I said before you know as long as things messages are delivered with tact and um, acknowledgement of the current situation there's no reason why the, the, the meat of the message shouldn't be the same. We, we, we're, you know, if people were fundraising for projects that are happening later in the year or next year, what, why not? I mean, you know, saying that we fully acknowledge what's going on now, but um, we're very much hoping that the situation will improve and that in six months time, 12 months time, 
we'll be back to a on a kind of level pegging so that that's what my advice would be um but also to use this time to really try and reach people i mean we're we're so busy doing our stuff normally um that we don't really have time to step back and really reflect um so sending messages just to keep in touch with donors without asking for money i think is really important and delivering content to them um and then you know every three messages kind of reminding donors that we're all in the same situation and we need their support some great tips there and we've, we've talked a little bit about things that we hope will continue outside of, of lockdown particularly in terms of arts organizations being more open about the fact they need they need help and this sense of, of connection and building relationships are there any other positives you think have come out of this you hope will extend beyond uh, beyond this lockdown period I think also what the what digital has led to is a kind of democratization um, and a kind of the barriers have kind of gone um, uh, both in terms of physical uh, access but also intellectual access because a lot of the most moving performances digital performances I've seen from my world classical music have been these kind of orchestras where you see all the individual instrumentalists and then it kind of builds up to a massive performance of Beethoven 9 or Ravel's Bolero um, and you seeing those individual musicians in their own homes really you relate to them as human beings you, you see the beauty of their craft and their skill and their technique but also because you're seeing them in their own homes in a relaxed setting you relate to them more as an individual um, so I'm hoping that those kind of barriers will have gone um, and similarly I think moving forward audiences will want to have you know, for that barrier to go even in live performance, for them to feel more of a connection to the individual musicians. So I think arts organisations should think about how they're presenting their artists and performers in a way that feels very natural and that creates a connection with their audiences. And this could be through people just chatting to camera ahead of a performance and those clips can then be used later on or, or in a live performance, you know, some of the performers actually just talking directly to the audiences before the performance happens. I mean, again, these are all very straightforward things, but uh, I'm hoping. And the other thing is that more people are taking part as well. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a singer, and um, you know, with with all these kind of virtual choirs that are popping up, um, more people are just kind of adding their voice and being seen. Um, and I think that's going to be a big thing going forward. People will want to express their own creativity as individuals and how can arts organizations help them with that and how can we fundraise on the back of that as well um, I mean these are all kind of questions to think through but uh, I think the situation is is looking good and everyone's saying you know for every news article you read kind of says we're never going to go back to where we were before and even the Archbishop of Canterbury in his Easter Day sermon talked about um, how we can't go back to, you know, what is the new normal, how we, we can't go backwards, we've got to go forwards into a new normal. And I think arts organisations and fundraisers within arts organisations will need to think what will be the new normal and how can we really capture the hearts and minds of our audiences going forward so that they become closer to our organisation um, and give, continue giving, 
and begin to give those people that aren't currently giving? I think that's a really interesting point, particularly for organisations that have maybe put their work on pause with a view that they will be able to just press play again when we get out the other side of this. And I think this idea that we're going to be operating in a very different world perhaps means that organisations that have been able to adapt quite quickly are going to be in a better place to to respond to that new world and to, to move forward. I think, um, to, just to add to that, David, I mean, smaller, agile organisations like the London Handle Festival are really well equipped to to move quickly on these things. So for once, um, small arts organisations have the benefit over larger arts organisations where, you know, there are endless planning meetings and creative <laughs> production meetings and all this kind of thing uh, before we even start on planning for fundraising activity. Um, so... We, we should really grab the nettle, grasp the nettle, sorry, um, and, and really feel invigorated by this rather than scared by it. What are you doing outside of work then to keep yourself sane? What's, uh, what are you doing for your, for your downtime? And there are, are there any tips or any things you can recommend for people to look out for? Um, Yes, well, my social media activity is, you know, um, expanded exponentially, really. Uh, I get these rather worrying reminders from my little iPhone every week on about how many hours I'm spending. Uh, but I don't, in a way, I don't care because uh, it's a way to stay connected. So, yes, like many other people, I'm in different WhatsApp groups. And yes, I've been having virtual meetings with family and friends by Zoom um, with groups that I would normally um, meet in person. Um, I belong to different choirs. Um, tonight, I've actually got a virtual quiz with one of my choirs. Um, the whole virtual choir thing has been a bit fraught because um, of a sound delay. And I have taken part in some of these things like Gareth Malone and Stay at Home Choir, um, which is more one way you you kind of you put yourself on mute and then you just sing at the screen um which hasn't been entirely satisfying for me personally because i like to hear the other voices but eventually we'll get there with the technology when we can all kind of hear each other at the same time so i've been trying to keep that level of creativity up but also doing new things um i i've listened I've listened to many different tracks on Spotify for many years now, but for the first time I'm actually creating playlists and sharing those with people. Um, I've finally plucked up the courage to start Brave New World, which has just been sitting on my shelf for years and years and years. Um, you know, the things that people are doing, you know, doing a massive spring clean, um, discovering kind of old school reports and old photographs, which has been really great, but also chucking a hell of a lot out and recycling as much as I can as well. And there's piles of clothes to go to the charity shops as and when they reopen. So, you know, just keeping myself sane with all of that. But I'm, I'm, I feel so blessed and grateful that I have a community of really supportive friends and family, but also that I've got creative activities that can keep my brain occupied during this time. So um, I, I hope that everyone else has similar support networks and ways to keep their brain positive. And you mentioned some of the uh, digital performances and tours that have 
uh, been popping up. Any that have particularly taken your fancy? Any you'd recommend that that listeners should check out? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. There's. Um, I, I mean, I'm on uh, Twitter and um, LinkedIn, and people can find me easily. <laughs> um there and if people get in touch i'm very happy to send links because i i've been posting things on facebook on my own personal facebook wall and there's um two or three websites um which have listings of all the digital creative activity available which is amazing all over the world um and these websites are very comprehensive and are dated constantly i've been impressed with what the bbc have done as well culture in quarantine and a particular performance I wanted to highlight, um, particularly being a singer and a classical musician, there was a wonderful performance of the St. John Passion, Bach St. John Passion, from his church in Leipzig on Good Friday. Um, and it was performed by just one singer, the tenor, um, with percussion and a keyboard. Um, and the tenor sang the role of the evangelist, but also, oddly, the soprano arias transposed an octave down into his own range. But he also sang the parts of Christus and Pilatus as well, and also spoke the um, choruses. And then they had a small choir <clears throat> in the church with him and different choirs that were pre-recorded from across the world singing the chorales. Um, and it was such a involved and committed performance, extraordinary performance, particularly from this one solo tenor, an Icelandic tenor, who would have sung that had the St. John Passion in the church in Leipzig gone ahead. Um, but he'd somewhat, he and his colleagues have this amazing creativity to rework the St. John Passion. And I would really encourage people, if you're interested in Bach at all, to, to tune in and listen to that. Um, I hope it's still available. Um, it was certainly last Friday um, for all day. Um, but it's, it's that kind of thing, you know. And again, once you've heard that performance, you can't go back. Mm. You, you're kind of thinking, how else could the Bach St. John Passion be presented in a way that's so imaginative and so engaging? If we can find it, we'll send a, a link out or tweet that out as well so that people can find that. Samir, it's been a pleasure, as always, talking to you. I can't wait until we're able to meet up again in person and, and chat. Uh, but for the meantime, thank you so much for giving up your time, and we wish you all the very best at London Handel Festival for getting the 2021 plans up. Huge thanks again to Samir for giving up his time. It's always great chatting to him and delighted that he could be the first guest as part of this series on COVID culture and cash. I think there were some really key points uh, and the things that really stuck in my mind were Samir's points about how people are looking for connection at this time. And I think that's something we've absolutely got in common with our supporters. I think most of us are feeling a little bit isolated, a little bit separate, and having something that connects us to the things that that matter to us most, I think is, is something we all welcome. I think we also all welcome the chance to feel useful at the moment. I also really liked what Samir said about 
the value of authenticity and how important getting that tone right has been in their communications and how that's been one of the key successes or key reasons for success for their fundraising at this time. And I really hope that's something that continues long after lockdown is over. The idea that arts and culture organisations take a more authentic, more human tone in their fundraising messaging but also continue this bravery of being really clear that we need help and that there is a role for supporters to play to keep these organisations going, to keep making sure that we've got a thriving arts and culture sector. This is the first in what I'm hoping is going to be, well, I hope it's going to be quite a short series of podcasts because that will mean lockdown is finished. We've come out the other side. Coronavirus is no longer having an impact, but I suspect realistically that's not going to be the case. Certainly in the UK, we've just heard that lockdown is going to continue for another three weeks. So during this time, I want to talk to as many arts and culture fundraisers as possible. We've got a couple more lined up that I'm going to be recording over the next few days. But if you've got a story to tell, if you've got an example of something that's working for your organisation or something you've tried, please get in touch. I'd love to chat to you about it. You can reach me on Twitter. I'm at David Burgess FR. You can drop me an email. I'm at david.burgess at apollofundraising.com. Please do get in touch. It'd be great to chat. In the meantime, take care. Thanks very much. Thanks again to Samir for his time today. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to sharing another podcast very, very soon.